Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talking Knicks. We had a very exciting week of Knicks basketball for some good reasons, some bad reasons. Or maybe they were good reasons. I don't know. So this week, I'm joined by my co-hosts. Big Baby David and Tom, but before I get to you guys, I forgot to do the intro thing where I say, let's talk Knicks. <laughs> That's very smooth. Um, as you can tell, I'm not I'm not the primary host. I hosted last week, so or two weeks ago. But I'm back. I'm back at it. Uh, Jake's at winter meetings for the MLB in San Diego. Very exciting. So I'm joined here by my co-host, Big Baby David and Tom. Let's ask how they're doing. Big Baby David, how you doing? Uh, I am, I, I am well. I got to see friends, which I normally don't do yesterday. So I feel like I've actually interacted with the world a little bit. So that's always a nice change of pace. Tom, how about you? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Uh, I also saw some friends. Went to a little holiday Christmas party. Last night at my twin brother's house, he and his wife hosted, and uh, yeah, you know they got a new, a new baby daughter, so I got to spend some time with my niece, and and it was just a nice, nice, lovely time all around. Um, but so I actually didn't even see last night's game until this morning. I went went and rewatched it, and uh, it was fun. That was a fun game. But I guess before we get to that, Greg, how was your weekend? Weekend was uh pretty good. I went, I went out, had, had a few drinks on Friday night. Uh, I'm a bad drinker. I may be retired now after my performance. Uh, we don't need to talk about that. Well, I see you're wearing a, a brewery zip-up hoodie there. What, what's that all about? Uh, my friend Dan worked at a brewery in Cincinnati, so I had to buy this from him as like a, a gesture of goodwill. So I, I'm not a drinker, as I, as I was getting at. So don't, don't, you Just don't have to question my clothing. You still don't have to ask about it at all. You don't have to take my word for it. Anyways, let's talk about the week that was in Knicks basketball. We started the week, second night of a back-to-back, with a, uh easy 44-point loss to the Bucks, who are the best team in the NBA currently. So, I mean, it's still bad. We don't need to talk about that. Because, I mean, we follow that up. We bounce back. With the 47-point loss to the Nuggets. Is that 47 or 37? 37. I think... Um, 37 sounds right. I read it 37. So I read a stat that said uh, it was the first time in Knicks history where they had back-to-back 30-plus point losses. So that was good. And then we followed that up with the firing of David Fisdale, which you guys covered on your weekly pod. And we finally finished the week off last night with a one-point loss to the Indiana Pacers, which was heartbreaking. There was a lot of encouraging signs. We had Mike Miller starting his, his first game under the helm, the new regime. It went fairly well, you know. We started out good. It was a back-and-forth game. I think the largest lead was Pacers by 8 or Pacers by 11, something like that. It never got too far out of reach. Knicks were winning, a lot of ties, and, you know, ultimately came down to a Free throws, and as the Knicks have all season, they missed their free throws, and they lost the game by one point. But let's talk. Tom, what did did you see different from what we've seen in the past? I know the new coach, things were very different. Yeah, it it did feel – first of all, it felt different because the Knicks were trying hard at playing basketball, so that was nice. Um and I will say that, like, I mean, defensively was the thing that was, like, biggest, the biggest difference to me. Like, you guys will remember on the, the Fizdale was fired podcast, I was talking about how there was never really a defensive identity. There was no consistency in the defensive, like, coverage schemes. They would sometimes be 
trapping off pick and rolls. They would sometimes be switching everything. Other times they'd be switching sometimes. It was just there was no consistency, no identity. And in this one, they were consistent with their with their coverage. Um, it, it didn't always work. They're they're doing like a drop coverage basically where oftentimes the, the center whose man would go and set the screen, he would kind of drop back towards the rim. And the, the guy who was getting a screen, the, ball, the guy defending the ball handler, was sort of chase the, the ball handler around the screen. And it's like a more conservative way to defend the pick and roll. And what it led to in the first half was just a ton of mid-range pull-ups. Like you saw TJ Warren just crushing the Knicks. For most of the night, He I know he put up some pretty good stats. What do you have? He had 25. 25. Yeah, 25 points. And a lot of that was because uh, the bigs in the in – this new defensive scheme, like Mitch especially, would just drop way too far back. He wouldn't really find that balance between uh, defending the the ball handler and, and also protecting the rim. So that it's going to take some time for them to, to sort of figure all that out. But that was the biggest change I saw was, was on the defensive end. And, and I think it's going to work. I like this going forward. I think it, it helps highlight the, the strengths of the players, like Frank at the point of attack, Mitch protecting the rim. Ultimately, it's going to be a good thing. It's just going to take a lot a lot of reps, I think. Yeah, and uh, to go off that, the more consistency in the defense. Like you said, they weren't switching everything. We didn't see any zone, which was good. Knicks have been playing a decent amount of zone under Fizdale. When, whenever I watched it, I, would, I was like, I don't they – this shouldn't be happening. I know that. They don't know how to play man-to-man. They certainly don't know how to play zone. And then the other teams would just rain threes on us, as they do. Uh, last night, Pacers were 12 for 28 from three, 42%. But, I mean, 12 made threes – nowadays isn't isn't too bad you know teams are routinely shooting very high te- high teens and into the 20s and the threes so we, we take what we can get yeah that's uh, like a normal night from three for a team i'd say right yeah exactly so bbd what did you see from what you were able to watch yeah so you, I, I basically just watched the uh like back half of that fourth quarter or a little more than half um and the effort was certainly there, not the the made shots in the portion that I saw, but um, the effort was there, which is uh, both noteworthy and not wor- noteworthy, I guess, just because um, good that they are showing more effort now with the new guy and, and wanting to play hard together because that was a big reason why Fizdale was let go um, over the weekend. But also, like, of course, they were going to give full effort the first night of the new coach. So I guess it's kind of like, um, let's see in two weeks if they're still doing, like, full effort every, uh, the whole game every night. And it's still kind of fun to watch. So I'm kind of, like, waiting with bated breath before I kind of give any compliments or, or criticisms one way or the other as far as the new coaching and effort and how the team as a whole looks. Uh, which is, of course, bad because they're a bad team. But you know yeah they always look bad but last night they looked good by by their standards even though exactly. they lost the, the the Pacers are a good team 15 and 8 they're, I mean they're not the Nuggets and Bucks mostly not the Bucks um 15 and 8 so they're pretty good but let's talk t- about the last 5 minutes and 17 seconds of the game specifically Heart- Do we have to Heartbreak City um so 5:17 left is when the Pacers scored their last points the Knicks had tied the game at 98. Aaron Holiday hit a three. Jeremy Lamb got an and one, which, you know, at and one at, like, the very end of the shot clock. Uh, got fouled by Marcus Morris, which, you know, didn't really look like it was a foul. Maybe that's the difference in the game. But, I mean, I'm not saying with 5.17 left, one point that was scored with 5.17 left is ultimately the, 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 the difference. Because the Knicks had – opportunities to win this game i believe the knicks from that 517 point on went one for 13 from the field or something oh, or let me check this out so at 505 mitchell robinson dunked the ball as is tradition by his standards from that point on the knicks went one for 13 which is bad the knicks ended this five percentage not not a high percentage. The Knicks ended this five minute and seventeen stretch on a five to zero run, which is funny. Generous to call that a run. Yeah. It's funny that yeah, and yes, Network put that up on the board. It said like Knicks on a four zero run in the last four minutes and forty seconds. And it's just like 
first of all, it's, it's four to zero, and second of all, that's such a long period of time. But like like we've mentioned, the effort in this five minutes, despite the results, was was high. I know there was one possession where the Knicks, I think they got four offensive rebounds. They took five shots. Uh, came up empty on that possession. I think it was like a minute-long possession. But it, it, it hurt. But it was good to see them trying. I mean, that's that's, that's a moral victory again. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys had any more input on this on this five-minute stress, what you wanted to specifically point out. Tom, you got anything? Yeah, I mean, I was trying to figure out, like, whether it was – why? So they they went one for fourteen. It looks like in their last five minutes, um, the one field goal coming from Marcus Morris, and I was I was trying to figure out just like why it was. Were they not getting good shots? Was it like the the offense stagnate? That was kind of one uh, criticism of Fisdale for the last season and a quarter was that you know especially early on in games the the Knicks would be like moving the ball and and doing the right things and then it would start to slow down and turn into iso ball and, and become like selfish basketball and there was a little bit a little bit of that down the stretch but i mean a lot of it was just open looks like Marcus Morris was 0 for 3 in the last 5 minutes from the from the three point line and he got some real good looks um it just to to me it was just a, a just bad timing and just a, just a lot of missed shots. I don't think it was really a symptom of of like more selfish offensive play because in this game they they were actually really good at sharing the ball. I feel like this was some of the most, especially in the first half, this was some of the most assists they'd had all season. I don't have the stat directly in front of me, but they finished the game with eighteen assists. I guess I don't know what, what they're averaging. Do you guys have that? In front of you, I feel like it's I it's less know. than that. I'll see what I can find. Like you got here, no, tw- 20, actually, 24 assists is the number I I got. Not per game. That's what they had in this Pacers game. Oh, they did. Okay, so they're averaging 20 assists per game this season, and, and they had 24. So I mean, they they just from an eye test standpoint, they were sharing the ball better, and uh, I I think that kind of style of play continued in the last five minutes. They just stopped hitting shots. So it, you know. You wonder whether Coach Miller could have mixed up the the lineup a little bit, try to get someone else in there. You could you you look at what the Pacers were doing; they weren't scoring at all, but they were also missing a lot of open shots too. It wasn't always a case of like the Knicks playing such hard, great defense. The, the Pacers, like both teams, were just straight up missing shots at the end. So, I don't I don't know, guys. I. I it's a shame, but it's just sometimes the ball doesn't go in the basket, and it doesn't. It's not much more complicated than that. Yeah, I, I know that the the two most devastating ones were that that five shot possession. I know Marcus Morris had like a an open three on that possession, and he's shooting over fifty percent from three on the year. So you were like, oh yes, this is it. That's going in. And then you know a lot of rimming in and out, and then late in the game, uh, Alfred Payton just drove into the lane and he had a floater and he had that just rimmed in and out. That you were like, that's got to go in. Yeah, that's that's the one that uh that hurt the most for me was uh seeing him get that good look there and he's at least i test he he's converted those for the most part this season just get, when he gets those open looks up close and then you could it felt like it had to carry over on that next uh time he had the ball driving down the court uh where he gave it to mitchell robinson who went for the dunk and it didn't convert uh, now maybe it was the right basketball play anyway, but I think if he had made the shot earlier and it was the same situation later, maybe he actually just takes the layup himself there. Um, but maybe, but it seemed like he was choosing not to take a shot later because he missed that shot before. So that um, that kind of stinks. But so do the Knicks. <laughs> yeah. So that last fast break in, in transition was there's a lot going on there. You know, you got you got the ball uh, five seconds left. 5.7 left when Turner loses the ball. And it's like a sprint down the court. We're losing by two. We need to score in the next five seconds. Elver Payton gets it, the ball to the three-point line, pushing transition. Uh, Julius Randle's f- trying to fill the lane. He, there's not really an angle for him to for Payton to make the pass. Uh, Mitchell Robinson cuts down the middle of the court. And then Payton, like, he, like Big Baby David just mentioned, 
Peyton dishes the ball to to a sprinting Mitchell Robinson at the top of the key who takes two steps and tries to do a layup and gets blocked by Miles Turner. I, I, I disagreed with that pass just based on what we've seen from Mitchell Robinson, but because he was he was too far away from the basket, you think there wasn't really a chance for him to make something of that? I mean, yes, and it's Mitchell Robinson, and that's not really a thing that he does, especially with that with two two seconds left in the game. I I, I just don't you don't see that from him. He's just a rim runner. You're not seeing him catching the ball at the top of the key and going in and dunking it too often. Maybe maybe in transition, but this was like last second. Never seen them do this before. Let's see if he could do it right now kind of thing. Yeah. And it's not like that was the only choice on the play because he very well could have just driven himself uh, and either tried to draw a foul or actually make a layup. Um, yeah. Which would have been cool. But Yeah. And Miles Turner also turned pitch. turned the defense up in the last minute. I think he had three blocks right. in the last minute. Uh, Mitchell Robinson didn't try to dunk that layup. He tried to lay it up. It was a layup. Which, you know, I don't even know if he could have dunked it because he got it from so far out and then took two steps and did what he did. I mean, I guess we should talk about what happened thereafter. Miles Turner blocked it. There's a ruckus. Julius Randle got the ball, went up, and got a foul call with .1 seconds left. Which a lot of the time you do the refs to just, like, pretend nothing happened at the very end of the game. So I guess we're thankful they called the foul so we had a chance. Um, he steps up. Clearly taking, like, way too much time shooting the free throws, thinking about it. It would have been funny if they called a 10-second violation, and we just <laughs> lost it. We just lost that way. Well, he steps up, <laughs> breathes for a little bit, shoots the first, makes it, steps up, breathes for a little bit, and just clanks the second one. Tough. Tough break. Um, I don't know if we want to get into more specifics. I, mean, I don't think we want to talk about that specific uh play but Julius Randle on the evening was ultimately six for 18 I believe uh four for six from the free throw line which is his average for the year 66 percent so at least he's consistent maybe we wish he missed a free throw earlier in the game so we made those two but then the difference would have been the same that's right it's math so um I'll, I'll go through these stats with you guys Marcus Morris was was great he was hard of the team 25 points. Uh, R.J. Barrett looked good in the first quarter. He just had a – Knicks were being the fun team. R.J. Barrett took the ball from the three-point line, just drove in and dunked it. Great play. Mitchell Robinson came in 14 points, six for nine shooting, as he does. Uh, a big thing we'll talk about, I think, is Alfred Payton. Uh, he came back. I mean, he played a couple times this week, but he came back. And Miller was going hot hand down the stretch, and he, he let – Peyton in down the stretch, and that's why he was in at the very end of the game instead of Frank, which, you know, there's no problem with it because that, that team was th- coming back. Maybe Frank would have been better after we sc- we were one for 14 or one for th- – yeah, one for 14 in that last five minutes. But alas. So, Tom, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna let you talk about Alfred Payton and what you thought about Mike Miller leaving him in the game and uh, what you saw from him. He was good on defense. He had three steals. He was – Really taking control of the offense. Uh, I know a big problem we have with Julius Randle is him taking the ball up the court, and then that last five minutes, Alfred Payton was having none of it. He was he was just going and getting the ball and setting up the offense, which was good to see. Yeah, no, he was he was good, and it was it was nice to see kind of a veteran presence on the court there, getting the the team into their offense. It didn't result in. Um, baskets made late in the game but throughout the game I thought I thought he was good um he he does a good job of just putting pressure on the defense and and getting into the paint and then you just kind of compare what you know who the alternatives were I would like to see Frank out there but but the other guy who got minutes was Dennis Smith Jr. who played 12 minutes and was minus 10 in those, and like sometimes we'll say plus minus doesn't really paint a good picture. Uh, it does in this case. Dennis Smith Jr. was terrible. He was 0 for 5 from the field, 1 of 2 from the free throw line. He uh, he finished the game with 1 assist, 2 turnovers, um, and in general just his his lack of energy, and it just it, it was – it really brought the team down <laughs> the entire game. And so I'm looking through like this lineup data right now, and – and the, the second most used lineup this game 
was with Dennis Smith Jr. at the point, Damian Dotson at shooting guard, Kevin Knox, small forward, Bobby Portis at power forward, and Mitchell Robinson at center. And that group played five minutes in the at the end of the first and end of the third quarters and were minus 14 during that time. And that was the game, really. Like They, they let up runs at the end of both the first and third quarters. And it, it was really hard because it undid all of the – everything that the starters kind of built towards. So, you know, for me, it was like Alfred Payton was it was a fine choice. It was either him or Frank to end the game, as long as it wasn't Dennis Smith Jr., who was just another – just had another brutal outing, guys. Yeah, and he he looked like he was giving some good effort on defense, like a couple of plays, but generally, like you said, he was, he was Dennis Smith Jr.ing it up as as he does. I mean, a lot of these people – are pretty are pretty consistent. New coach, same same players. Um, I don't know if you have anything you want to say about any of the guards, BBD. Otherwise, I'm gonna move on to uh, Kevin Knox. Yeah, no, pretty. Tom kind of hit it on the head. I think Dennis Smith was bad. The other two were both fine. So as long as it's one of those two, Peyton or Frank, that were in, cool by me. Down the stretch. Well, we're saying Frank was we're saying Frank was fine, but he was just one of five from the field. He missed both of his threes. Um, I think I remember one of them was just a wide open corner three that would have been really nice to have. He did finish with uh, with four assists to just one turnover, so that's a nice ratio. But in general, he wa- he only played 19 minutes. Um, maybe that was part of the issue that he couldn't really get into a rhythm as well. And I think if if those 12 minutes that Dennis Smith Jr. played all went to Frank. I think that this the outcome of this game would have been different, but this, that's also something that Miller is going to have to get used to. It's his first game, so I'm not going to like draw too many conclusions from it. It's just an observation that um, you know Frank probably deserved a lot of those minutes, especially like, DSJ was playing so poorly that I don't think I don't think you really had to run him back out there and be like, oh, let's try this again. You know, like. Frank deserved at least some of those 12 minutes, and it was such a close game that I think it could have been the difference. Yeah, he could have at least given uh, DSJ like five fewer minutes with how poorly he played. Yeah, that would have been enough time to figure out that, okay, he's uh, he's bad tonight. So, no, it seemed like it was a largely even split between the three guards for uh, Mike Miller. So I'm interested to see that moving forward, see how he splits the time. Um between those three because they all kind of deserve to play depending on what you want out of a game. But, uh, you know, it's a tough, tough nut to crack. Yeah. And like you're saying, this was Mike Miller's first game and Alfred Payton's just coming back too. And so Fisdale never really had the, I mean, Fisdale only had like one or one or two games where Alfred Payton was back and was trying to mesh this and figure this out. So, I mean, that rotation hasn't been solved yet. I mean, Miller doesn't have to abide by any rotations that Fisdale had going. But I don't think anybody really knows the the, Pe- the Peyton Frank Smith Jr. dynamic right now. I know at one point at the at, in the later stages, Fizdale tried Frank and DSJ together. Maybe we revolve into that. We'll see if Peyton plays with with the, one of those guys. I don't know. It's very interesting. It's it's a tough nut to crack, as Big Baby David said. And uh, going into it, going into Knox as I, as I wanted to. Uh, Knox looked pretty good. Uh, he hit two threes. There's there's a, there a pl- spot in the middle, beginning of the first ha- first half, first quarter, when he hit a three. Then he came down, hit hit two. You know, he had five straight points. Um, from that point, he only hit one more three later in the game. But I mean, his energy looked good. He only played 14 minutes. The one thing about him is he just like fell asleep on defense a few times he was guarding Doug McDermott and Doug McDermott would just run around and shoot a three I don't know if you noticed that Tom did you oh no that's exactly what I was going to say was just off the ball defense was was really lagging he looked just slow in general and um he was like yeah he was just caught flat-footed too many times and Doug McDermott's not a guy that you can afford to do that with like he as we know watching him and Kyle O'Quinn when they were on the on the Knicks, like he is always looking to backdoor cut. He's always just flying around screens, and he really killed us in this game. He, Doug McDermott, did. He ended up going three of four from behind the arc for 16 points. And uh, I mean, I don't know if we could, you could say he nuabed us, but I mean, it was definitely a a tough break, and a lot of that was because Kevin Knox was was struggling to defend him off the ball. 
Um, so I don't know. Like Kevin Knox just had kind of a, a meh game for me. Looking at the at the numbers, like he did have an efficient eight points, but what else did he really do? He only had the one rebound, uh, which is bad for him. Like he he should be grabbing boards and trying to get out and run. And that's that's one thing I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit was one criticism we had of Fisdale was that he'd always talk about this team playing with pace, but then the team would just never push the ball. Like off of missed shots, they would never go and get out in transition before the defense set. And I was I was wondering if you guys noticed this game, if the pace was any faster, or I actually don't have the, the stats in front of me for how it how fast it actually was, but I don't know, just, just having watched, did it, did it feel faster to you? It, it seemed to slow down a great deal in those last five minutes when every possession mattered. But, but for the majority of the game, it did seem to me, especially guys like Alfred Payton, were looking to push the ball. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. And I know Mike Breena mentioned that as well. He said it looks like you know, Mike Miller's trying to get this team to push the pace more. And that, that's when I really noticed it because, you know, you just get so used to stuff. But the, the big – it did look like they, were, like they were running up and down the court more. And maybe a lot of that is also to go with the effort. You know, when, when you're putting in more effort, it looks like you're moving more. So maybe I, I was just blind. Yeah, so on, on that note, like Kevin Knox, to me, just he has to be better. He, I mean, the same thing, the same story we say every week. He has to be better defensively. I would love to see him play with more force in general. I think he ended the night with uh, – did he even get to the free throw line once? He did not. And that was something he was really good at last year and at the very beginning of this year was just sort of his herky-jerky drives into the paint and throwing up kind of awkward shots, but but managing to get foul calls and get to the line. And I don't know. He just ha- he just has seemed to play kind of soft lately, and I, I'm hoping it's just kind of a, a little blip and that he gets back to being more of an aggressive player. Yeah, and at the beginning of the year – you know, those first few weeks, it did seem like he was playing mostly the way we wanted him to play. But then, um, you know, a lot of what we've seen lately has been what we're talking about with like getting into a bit of a lull on off-ball D and not driving quite as uh, aggressively or as well when he does it as he was. You know, in those first few weeks. So hopefully, he writes himself soon, and that's kind of going to be a big question for the next moving forward because you know a guy you know Kevin Knox is kind of the key to feeling optimistic about the Knicks moving forward if he is a guy we said it in the season preview episode if he's a guy that looks promising like a real good starting NBA player then we feel a lot better about the Knicks over the next you know seven years if you know he is a real building block and if not then that sucks because he was a top 10 pick yeah then that'd that'd be unfortunate um i don't know know if we want to talk about the rest of the rotation i mean generally what did you guys think of the minute spread i mean we talked about the dsj could have played less but i mean he only played 12 minutes in in mike miller's defense 12 i mean i mean if you play someone for only seven minutes that's just i think we would have lost dennis smith jr in general if, if we only played him for seven minutes they would have sent the wrong message to him on the very first day of Mike Miller's job. So maybe that was part of why he played him, uh, give him a second chance, even though he was bad in the first quarter or first half, try him out, see what he does. Uh, Miller played 11 people, all for double-digit minutes. Spread out, spread the loves. Taj Gibson only played 15 minutes. Bobby Portis, 18. Mitchell Robinson, only person off the bench with 20-plus minutes. So what did, you, what did you think about the rotation generally? I mean, I liked – he played all the people you would want him to play. Um, we'll see who he sits down going forward. Uh, what part of that – Wayne Ellington was out with a sore left Achilles. Uh, hope he gets well soon so he could be getting uh, DNP CDs instead of DNP injureds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, – again, just I, I like – just comparing this one game to Fizdale's whole tenure, but the thing I I probably most hammered Fizdale about was his was his rotations and, and sort of not playing lineups that complemented or highlighted his players' skills, like their their strengths, while minimizing their weaknesses. And and this game, you know, there there were some encouraging things, but but lineup wise, 
I don't know that there was really too much to take away from it. I think we saw we still saw a lot of of lineups without shooters out there. Um, I mean, even that that last five minute stretch when the Knicks couldn't score, like there was there were very few guys who you would expect to hit an open three, other than Marcus Morris. Um, in the third quarter, I, I put out a tweet where the Knicks actually got back-to-back dunks just off of pick-and-rolls. Mitch, Mitch Robinson actually hit people on his screens, which was nice, and then Frank found him for a dunk, and then R.J. Barrett found him for a dunk the next play. But the thing was that, like, it was another situation where they were two, like, kind of difficult passes. It, they were just, like, they had to be perfect passes because the paint was just so crowded because the lineup just there, – there were not many shooters out there, right? It was, you know, Mitchell Robinson – and Frank Nilakina, Julius Randle, and then R.J. Barrett. And Marcus Morris is kind of the only guy who you'd expect to be able to hit a three. So that's just one thing I'm going to be looking at going forward because you just can't afford to to run those lineups out there in the modern NBA. The defenses are too compact. The the paint just gets too crowded, and it gets harder and harder to to take advantage of rim rollers like Mitchell Robinson. So it, it worked actually a lot this game, but I, I don't know that I'm, you know, going to be able to project that going forward. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. Tom, I got a question for you. Shoot. Who are the shooters on this team that you – who who did the Knicks need to be playing? So, so I guess when I, when I say shooters, I'm kind of more saying just like the reputation as shooters or like maybe defenses will treat them as shooters more so – than like their actual stats so far this year, but like Kevin Knox is a shooter, Damian Dotson is a shooter, um, Wayne Ellington when he comes back I consider him a shooter despite his percentages, uh, and even Bobby Portis at the five, I don't like Bobby Portis playing next to Mitchell Robinson very much, like I he's not like a great shooter for a, for a four, but as a stretch five like he kind of counts. As well, he at least stands out there and, and is comfortable taking shots, and defenses have to account for him at times. But, yeah, Portis, Dotson, Knox, Ellington. Um, I don't know if there's anyone I'm Morris. leaving at. Morris. Yeah, Morris for sure. Uh, and that's it, actually. That's the whole list. Yeah. See, I mean, it's tough when you have so limited options to, to get the people out there. Like like you're saying, down the stretch, you don't, you don't really want Bob Portis in the game if you, if you, want, no, if you, no, if you want Mitchell no Robinson in the game. I know Bobby Portis won us a game down the stretch against the Bulls, so maybe we should be playing down the stretch. But, but no, that was just one. That was a one-time thing. Yeah, no, um, I'm good. <laughs> uh, one of the things, I this may be controversial to you guys. I'm starting to trust Frank's three, maybe more than I should. I'm starting to lose favor in Dotson's three. Uh, I think he's gotten a reputation as a shooter on this team, but if you look at his stats, 32%, 32.4% from three as a rookie, 36.8 last year, 30.6 so far this year. That's Those aren't great. I mean, 36.8 on 4.7 shots is pretty good. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. It's not like a shooter. And last, last yesterday, he was taking a lot of, like, really deep threes like five feet behind the arc and just like don't just stand right behind the arc and shoot it and he was two for eight from three yesterday a lot of bricks it was tough to watch from from my point of view i i had difficulty watching damian dotson play yesterday yeah he totally has a a green light right now and uh, like there were actually there was at least one time maybe two times where he had to take kind of a bailout three at the end of the shot clock where I was like, uh, I mean, it hurts his percentages, but I don't know if it's really, like, indicative of him as a shooter. But in general, you're right. Like, his three has not been as reliable. And the, but the funny thing is that when he shoots it, I'm still expecting it to go in, and maybe that's just more on me. But I, And I think defenses still kind of treat him as a shooter, which is also important. But, no, your point's well taken. That, that Dotson, I mean, he, he has to start hitting threes. Like, that, if you're going to be a shooter, you got to make your threes. Yeah, of the th- with Dotson um – I'm comfortable with letting him still take him right now um, over his first 14 games. Um, and that included several, like, DNPs and stuff. He was getting kind of limited minutes. Um, and so he was shooting 26% from three since then. So his last, like, five games, 
Let me fix that. It's uh, he's it. The numbers are up. They're about they're about where they they need to be. Uh, he's up to thirty eight percent over his last five in uh, like five more minutes per game, more or less. So it seems like he's starting to come back around a little bit. Um, so let's you see what see what happens there because I I do like him as an option to play pretty big minutes for us and potentially be again another uh, building block on this team if he is hitting those threes and playing good defense, which is kind of the name of the game in the NBA these days. Yeah, and I I, I feel like I, I worded it too aggressively. I'm not all out. I'm not – I don't think Dotson is Wayne Ellington. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he seemed to be missing a lot of shots yesterday that, you know, he gets a reputation as a shooter and he was he was missing a lot. And, and one of the big – my big problems, like I mentioned, he was shooting deep threes. Yeah. And it was like if, if you're going to shoot a deep three, it has to go in. Sometimes. You, you, you can't shoot two for eight and launch away. But – Alas, um, I, don't, I don't know if we want to do some awards. Uh, I don't know if you have anything prepared. I'll, I will lead us off with a with not my real award, but I'll, I'll do a quick one for Kenny. Um, the Nuabo Award, as as Tom mentioned, and we don't think we can give it to Doug McDermott, but we have to give it to um, the alternative namesake, McConnell, the McConnell Award. Uh, I think McConnell had seven assists in the first half. Uh, he was just like running around doing whatever he felt like. Uh, ended the game with only six points, but 11 assists, which is a lot. I know T.J. McConnell um, had his only career triple double against the Knicks. He hit a game winner against the Knicks. Those are two separate games. Uh, the last buzzer beater the Knicks lost on was at the hands of T.J. McConnell. So T.J. McConnell got I, I would be remiss if, if I didn't mention him and the fact that he had 11 assists off the Pacers bench against us. Nick's killer. So I don't know if you guys have an award. Either uh, one of you. Let's see. I can, I can go with something, you know. He um, We talked about it a little bit, but we'll call this the uh, let's, let's see what happens now award. Um, and that's going to Alfred Payton, who just missed – Many games. I don't know the exact number, but it was he's out a while with the uh, with what was it a hamstring? So I'm excited to see now because we were we were liking what we saw from him early in the season, um, you know, as sort of the veteran presence at the point guard position. Since then, we have gotten to see Frank actually play big minutes and and impress with those minutes. So now it's we get to see like all right, how are we gonna do the minutes and how efficient and effective will uh uh Peyton Nilakina and I guess to a lesser extent Dennis Smith Jr. be now that all three are playing uh and and healthy and aren't coming off of uh grieving relatives yep it'll be and we finally have all three of them ready to play no if they're if they're sitting it's a DNPCD so we got to figure out how how we want to work that out time you get an award you don't have to. It's okay. It's totally cool if you don't have one. There's not much good no, to discuss. We have. Uh, I have <laughs> one. Everybody has one. <laughs> now, uh, this is my first Sunday pod in a long time because I've been doing the midweek one, so I did not come prepared with an award, but I can give one here. I, I want to give out the Carl Good to See You Award, and that's going to go to Mike Miller and – his offensive sets so that was something that that we really harped on all year with with Fizdale just like relying so much on isolations and post-ups for for guys like Randall and and Morris and just not putting his guys in in position to actually like get good looks at the basket and I I tweeted this out like the the very first possession of the Mike Miller era was the, the Knicks ran hammer action, which is just a play that's it's straight out of the Spurs playbook. Like I, I used to write for their SB nation blog, pounding the rock and they, I have to watch every Spurs game and they would just always run this hammer play where on the strong side, like the ball handler, in this case it was Frank Nielakina came off a screen from Julius Randall and he just kept driving to the baseline, kind of like almost to nowhere. But on the weak side, Taj Gibson sets a hard screen 
on Marcus Morris's man, and Marcus Morris cuts to the corner. It's just like it's a classic play, and Marcus Morris ended up get, throwing a pump fake at the defender who was who was late running out and just getting a wide open mid range jumper. It's like, yes, he took a mid-range jumper, and so, like, by the stats, people are going to be like, oh, just more mid-range, like, Nick's taking inefficient shots. But that wasn't the case here. He actually, like, they ran a beautiful play, they executed it well, and he got a wide-open contested, uncontested mid-range jumper in the flow of the offense. And I loved it. Like, that was exactly what I was hoping to see as the first play of the game. It kind of set the tone. And then just throughout the game, there was a lot more pick-and-roll, a lot more ball movement we, we mentioned the assists before and in general I'm just I'm hoping to see a lot more of that kind of offensive execution and design plays leading to to open looks versus kind of the random ad hoc like iso ball we were watching under Fisdale all right yeah it was it was refreshing to say the least to see what they were doing on offense I'll give one last award. Uh, my, my award's going to be the Showtime Award. Um, goes to R.J. Barrett. Uh, new era. Mike Miller. Just get, I, I want him to be really going to R.J. Barrett and having him be a guy. Uh, he looked good at the first in the first half. Like I mentioned, he had a big dunk. He had a three. I don't, I don't know in, when in the game that was. But it was good to see him hit a three. Uh, he's an okay three-point shooter. He doesn't hit him every game. So mm. it's, it's good. Uh, I think we're going to need to see him step up to be the third guy with uh, Randall and Morris, or maybe even the second guy just with, with with Morris. So I'm sure everybody wants to see him step up, but I'm going to give him an award to encourage him to do so. I like it. I um, Yeah, I, I definitely want to see RJ get a little more consistent on the shooting, but so far it's not been a problem, so – that's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and the and the fact that he can even just confidently take those three pointers, and right. that defenses have to worry about him out there. That's nice. The the one thing I, I just really want to see him start making his free throws, just as like a sign that there's going to be some progress there. I'm sure it's going to take time, and I'm getting a little impatient with it. But he was three of six from the free throw line in a game we lost by one. Um, I don't think his free throws were the ones that lost the game specifically we there was a specific free throw not this is just a joke this that's the only oh, one. <laughs> oh, yeah you know you could point to that free, no i i got you oh, it's the uh, only uh, one <laughs> but I, I will say bobby portis hit a a two-pointer with like his toe on the line yeah and if and like that pissed me off so much because it's like we lost this game by one point bobby just have some awareness and and take a th- just three inches backwards, and you and that's a three ball. But I think that's neither here nor there. I think McDermott did that too. If that makes you feel better, so it even yeah. it evened out. But if our guy did that and their guy didn't, then you're right. Then we would have we tied the game. No, if the game were completely different, we would have definitely <laughs> tied the game. God. All right, I think we're. It, I don't know how much more we have to talk about. I might move on to. Uh oh! The one thing I wanted to say about R.J. Barrett, I think he was four for eleven, but he looked good to me. You know, it, it reminds me of in Space Jam when uh, Michael Jordan strikes out, and then the guy on the bench was like, "When you strike out, it looks good. When I strike <laughs> out, it looks bad. It's bad." <laughs> that's true. And that's what I have to say about R.J. Barrett. Just it looks like you're making progress, and I appreciate it. Keep it up, young fella. <laughs> Technically, one last thing with R.J. Uh, over. His last six games, his free throw shooting is up a little bit. It's up to 65%, which isn't uh, an amazing number, of course. But on the season, he's, like, right at 50. So uh, at least it seems like he's trending the right way. So maybe uh, eventually he can just be a normal free throw shooter. Because imagine if he was just shooting, like, normal at the free throw line, how much people would be, like, saying good things about him outside of Nick's world. Yeah, that'd be good. And um, I guess I should mention that he went 0 for 9 from the field against the Bucks, which also was technically was this bad. week. So that's why the 4 for 11 is encouraging. I mean, he's he's had better games recently. Like last week, he had good games. But once you have an 0 for 9 game, you need something to bounce back from. And a 4 for 11 will take it. He had a big dunk, he had a 3. That's why I'm happy about those things. 
So, the next week, the week ahead, four games. Four-game road trip, West Coast, Portland, Golden State, the, the, the five-time defending Western Conference champion Golden State Warriors, the Sacramento Kings, and the Denver Nuggets. What are you, what are you guys thinking? And Bad. Before your, your predictions, uh, it's been mentioned on Reddit and by Jake that if the Knicks lose their next game, they'll be 4-20 and 20, losing to the Blazers. So who are oh, that's a, that's a fun wrinkle. Who are we even rooting for in this one? Carmelo. I'm, Car- I'm rooting for Carmelo. Carmelo's on the other team as well. All right. So, what's your prediction for the record this week? You got a couple teams that you could beat in the, in the new Mike Miller era. I mean, well, three of these teams are under 500. One of these teams was as bad as as us yesterday, but they won a game, so now they're not. Well, I uh, I have been burned my whole life by trying to be optimistic, so I'm gonna I am gonna say zero and three, but in a good way because last night's loss and Golden State's win did put us in the number one lottery odds. So uh, I think we're just gonna start hunting for that now, of course. And uh, but BB, be a big loss, BBD, I know? think they're they're playing four games, right? So are you expecting a forfeit in one of these? I forgot Sundays are a thing. Um. Yeah. Oh, that's that's actually fair because Sunday at eight p.m. Like, we'll, we'll probably be we'll recording during that game. Then, yeah. But uh, we'll we're gonna lose at Denver. <laughs> <laughs> that's imp- that's an important distinction. Um. Tom, prediction. <laughs> oh, that's that's pretty bleak. Um. I don't know. Do I think like, the problem is that there's just no practice time for this like new coach to try and I don't know gel with his new team. It's this is a tough spot. It's a tough spot for Mike Miller. Tough spot for the Knicks. Are they gonna go to Golden State and win? On the second on night Wednesday? of a back-to-back. Yeah, just about to say. Okay, um, you've convinced me. I'm I'm comfortable with BBD. They're gonna they're gonna forfeit that one and. <laughs> And uh, I, I think they'll also lose every game this week. But I, I also don't think that's the only, like, marker for success here. We should be looking at kind of the things we were talking about. Is uh, is Miller instilling some, like, systems? Like, we already ta- said the defensive identity was looked improved. Are they going to keep building on that? Are, are they going to, like, continue running plays, running pick and roll? Uh, what do the lineups look like? So there's other things to, to – look at as measures for success and not just wins and losses. Cause I think at this point it is getting to be like a tankathon type season. And we might start adding that segment to our weekly pod. Yeah. I mean, the Knicks are on a nine game losing streak. And if, if what you guys say happens, they'll be on a 13 game losing streak. They have to win. Eventually they've, they've, they've yeah. beaten the Mavericks twice who are the second best team in the, in the West. So this team could beat people. I mean, Three of these four teams are under 500, as I mentioned. Uh, which, I mean, the Knicks, as bad as they are, they aren't. They can't. I'm not gonna say they aren't that bad, but they can be not that bad. They they can put up respectable games sometimes. If I'm interpreting and, the page I'm looking at correctly, every team in the NBA has won more recently than the Knicks uh, last won a game, so they are due. Yes. Good. So I think they beat the Warriors. I think that they have to beat the Warriors. Otherwise, you know, what's even the point anymore? None of us think they can beat the Kings. I, f- I almost think because the second night of a back-to-back is tough because they have to travel from Portland. It's not that far to travel, but from Portland down to the Bay Area for a back-to-back. But the Kings, they got a day off in between. I mean, I th- um, I think they could beat the Blazers or the Kings or the Warriors. I think one of these three games is, is winnable. I just want them to be competitive. Yeah. I mean, the 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 they just lost by one point, so I that's also given me hope. I mean, if if they lost by twenty after those two back to back forty point losses and Fizdale was coaching, I'd be with I'd be with you guys. And part of it is that like their last two road performances, one was that Bucks game where they lost by like forty points or whatever it was. And then the other was against Toronto, where they, where again it wasn't competitive at all. So, uh, yeah, like their road record right now is not great. 
I mean, I mean, their their record in general isn't great. The home record isn't exquisite either. No, but their (laughs) road, uh, they haven't been showing up on the road. Have they they won a road game besides Dallas? That's who needs them. Actually, no. Who needs road wins? The Knicks. They have. They have not. Are one and nine on the road and three and ten at home. They played the Sixers tough in Philadelphia. That's true. Oh, here, here's your, here's your encouraging news, Tom. Two and fifteen against the East, which means that they're two and four against the West. That's good. Yeah. So. That no, that's really good. Man, if the Knicks were in the West, they'd be in the playoffs. I st- Pretty much. Two and four gets you in the playoffs, right? They'd get in, uh, in that weak Western Conference, that famously <laughs> weak West. They dominate. We need some conference I mean, realignment. In in. <laughs> Reality, guys. the The seven seed in the West is the Timberwolves right now. Is ten and eleven. The eight seeds is the Suns, who are ten and twelve. So, I'm not far off. Two games under five hundred, aka two and four. I'm not going by win percentage <laughs> here. I'm assuming from there on, the Knicks would go five hundred. Precisely. And the Knicks <laughs> would be the eight seed in the West. That's just science. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. We're starting to go off the rails. I don't know how much more there is to talk about. You guys have any final thoughts? On maybe, uh, maybe on my uh, on my O for prediction for the week. I am uh, haunted a little bit by the last time the uh, Knicks played the Kings. I thought they'd beat them, and they got uh, they got yes. a big old mud pie served yes. to them, and didn't bring nearly a large enough slice. I remember that at at Madison Square Garden. They're just, uh, I think you used that same kind of phrase to describe it, too. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure, I think. I recall. <laughs> um, and actually, I, I will just amend mine. I think that they're going to beat the Kings. I think I do think they'll lose to the Blazers and Warriors, but I think they're going to beat the Kings. So so mark me down for that. Good. All right. So well, one and three week next week. We'll, we'll be back next week talking about it. Tom may be back sometime this week with a midweek pod if he feels up to it. Uh other than that, you know, follow us on Instagram, Talking Knicks. Follow us on Twitter, Talking Knicks. Leave a review of the podcast. Five star. We gonna give away a shirt. Are we gonna give away a shirt again, Greg? I don't know that I have that authority, but you know, sure. If 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 <laughs> if you leave we reserve a the right to not actually send you a shirt, but uh, leave the review and we'll find out if we'll do that. But you know what I should say is that Marco Moy. 81 left us that five-star review and left the review that Jake said won the shirt. So we we tweeted out that we wanted him to DM us, and we'll get you that shirt. So do that. I think you recently followed us, and we followed you back. Looks like he's a, a young lad at Syracuse, I believe. Otherwise, it's someone pretending to be him. So, Marco, thank you very much for listening. This pod was for you. Let's go Knicks.